There we go, Dan. How are you? <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I'm challenged in these ways. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to see your face. It's uh, obviously we haven't been able to see it on uh, TV for a little bit, but uh, we're glad that you were able to join us today. That's yeah, my pleasure. I, I wish I could be on TV one day soon, but we all got to do what we're supposed to do and fight the fight. And hopefully there will be baseball at some point, but happy to be with you. Yeah, that's great. Um, so the first question I have for you is how did you start off in broadcasting and what made you kind of want to travel down that road? Uh, that's a long uh, answer. I'll give you as short an answer as I can to that. So I was at um, uh, Western Ontario, University of Western Ontario, now known as Western University. Uh, was a math major and uh, right in my first week of school decided I wanted to do some extracurricular stuff. Wanted to go write for the campus newspaper, the Gazette, but there was a big, big line. So walked by a door that said Radio Western, knocked on the door, walked in. Do you guys need volunteers? Yeah. Do you do sports? Yeah. And, and I started uh, kind of just horsing around on the side of the, at the radio station there. Did some football, did some basketball, did a talk show. Um, graduated with a degree in actuarial science, worked to, for a while as an actuary, really was not planning on getting into broadcasting at all. But um, a few months later, decided I, I wasn't enjoying what I was doing and wanted to give it a try and sent out a bunch of cassettes, a bunch of demo tapes and got a job in Barrie and eventually got a job in Toronto at, at what is now the fan and just kind of worked hard and got lucky. Um, somebody at uh, TSN, uh, heard me and I, I eventually auditioned and got the job as the Blue Jays guy. Somebody at ESPN heard me and it's a, it's a long story. I'm shortening it quite a bit, but kind of fell into this sideways. Never really thought that uh, this is something I'd be doing. And that's great. Um, and obviously it's been something that you've had fun doing because it's you've done it for the past 25 years, which we'll touch on uh, shortly. But over your career of broadcasting, you've covered uh, the Jays, as you mentioned, you've covered N NHL, NCAA basketball, uh, even the 1994 Olympics. Throughout your all of the events that you've covered, um, what made you want to try and cover sports over anything else, really? Uh, I, I've been a sports junkie my whole life. So uh, but when I actually got into radio at the beginning in Barrie, I was a newscaster, sportscaster, uh, uh, you know, the, did the markets and the uh, the courts and elections, did whatever, you know, there was to do. But I always wanted to be in sports and just was extremely lucky that at the time I was getting into the business, CJCL was turning into the fan and becoming an all-sports station. So uh, I'm a big believer, especially now, that uh, you should do something that you love. You should find something that you really enjoy uh, for work. And, and sports, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. Sports is what I love. Now, out of all of the events that you've seen, um, what has been your most favorite event to call for? That's a good question. Um, as you said, I was at the Olympics. I was really young. I was only 27 when I went to the Olympics. Uh, did hockey for CTV back at the 94 Olympics. That was a thrill. I've been able to do the World Series on ESPN Radio the last nine years. That's a thrill. And college basketball for ESPN, a lot of Duke Carolina games, Kansas games, Kentucky games. It's hard for me to separate it into just one. If you forced me to pick, I would probably say it's doing the World Series on ESPN Radio. To do championships is very special. I love baseball. Uh, I love baseball on the radio. It's the World Series. So uh, I, I'd probably say the World Series that I've been able to do would be number one. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, World Series is top-notch, right? It, it's definitely a crazy environment. Um, going, kind of focusing towards the Jays and the 2015-2016 kind of years that they had, 
Um, what a couple of years it was. Uh, I know for me, I had season seats. I was there during the Bautista bat flip. And it was just crazy um, to be able to see what happens from a fan perspective in a packed stadium. Um, what if, what was your kind of most memorable moment in 2015 during those playoffs to call um, when the Jays were in there? Yeah, you you, you cut out just a little bit, but um, in 2015, I did some of the Jays' uh, playoff games for ESPN Radio. I did the bat flip game totally by fluke. I was doing the Cubs and Cardinals on ESPN Radio, and a guy named Dave Fleming, a terrific broadcaster, was doing the Jays and Rangers series. And then somebody who was supposed to do a college football game, I think, got sick, and Dave got pulled off game five of Toronto, Texas, to do a college football game. And only because the Cub Cardinals series ended the night before, my radio boss called me and said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, well, I'm going to the Blue Jay game. He goes, do you want to work the Blue Jay game? So I wound up working the Bautista game. Didn't know about it until like midnight the night before. Um, obviously loved it being from Toronto. My parents were at the game. Two of my sons were at the game. And it was a, it was a thrill to, uh, to do that. And then went on and did the Kansas City series on ESPN Radio as well. And it was a really good series. I mean, the Blue Jays were a great team that year. But Kansas City was the best team. If the Blue Jays and Royals play that series ten times, the Jays probably win it three or four times. But uh, not that year, not that time. Kansas City just executed better, played better. But it was so much fun. I mean, again, being from Toronto, I'd be lying if I said that it's not a little bit extra special to cover a team from my hometown that, you know, that family members and friends love and I grew up watching it and, and that sort of thing. So doing the Blue Jays in the playoffs in 2015 was, was one of the highlights and that Bautista bat flip game, especially. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it was a, like a crazy wild time just to be there watching the game, let alone having call. It would have been something beyond yeah. anything else. Uh, we had a question coming in the comments asking that if you could be, any current MLB player, who would you play like the most? Wow, I've never been asked that question. If I could be a current player, uh, well, I'd want to. I think I'd want to play center field or shortstop. Be a really athletic guy, and I think I'd want to be a guy who hustles and loves the game. Uh, I might pick a guy like Francisco Lindor of the Indians. I love him. I think he's very special. I love the way he plays the game. But I'll tell you, if you ask me in a year. It might be Bobichet. Um, I'm an enormous Bobichet fan. I think Bobichet's going to be a tremendously special player, um, and I, I love the way that he goes about his business too. So Lindor and, and Bichet, I I think would be the the first two that come to mind. Now talking about young guns, we actually had another question coming from a fan of the show um, asking about Nate Pearson and where do you think Nate Pearson will fit in the 2020 or 2021 uh, rotation? Well. Uh, let's let's assume there is a 2020. Let's say we get going, you know, July or whatever, and there's a three to four month season. He might spend a little bit of time in the minors because he's barely pitched at AAA, and there might still be some service time issues where they decide to keep him down for a little bit. But he'll be a Blue Jay in two thousand. You know, barring an injury or something like that, he'll be a Blue Jay this year if there is baseball this year. And I think very quickly he'll move to the top of the rotation, whether it's one or two because of Hunjin Ryu. Um, we'll see, but uh, I actually did a thing with Danny Jansen for the Blue Jays today, did a similar thing to this with Danny Jansen, and asked him about him, and he said, like, everybody knows he throws 101, but his slider changeup and curveball are pretty good, too. Like, he's not just a thrower. He has enormous upside, enormous potential, 
and has a chance to be the Blue Jays' best starting pitcher shortly after he gets to the major leagues. You just hope he stays healthy and we get to see him realize all that potential. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's interesting to see where we were at just four or five years ago with that 2015, 2016, even 2017 roster, and then how everything's curveball into what we have now where we're relying so much on our young guys like Bobachet, like uh, Nate Pearson, and even like Vladimir Guerrero, um, or Junior, sorry. Um, who has been kind of your most um, interesting prospect to kind of watch or pay attention to as of late? That's a great question, and, and uh, uh, I should just pick one. Like, Vladdy is the obvious answer because of the hype and the numbers that he put up um, in the minor leagues. I've already told you uh, – oops, what just happened here? Oh, I flipped it around somehow. There we go. <laughs> uh, I've already talked a little bit about Bo. I think he's got an unbelievable career ahead of him, like unbelievable. You know, could win batting titles, multiple-time all-star, you know, that that good. Um but the other two guys, I'm really intrigued by Guriel and Biggio, too. And they sometimes get left out. Uh, I'm a big believer in Guriel. We haven't seen a full season of Guriel yet. And if he can stay healthy, you know, really get comfortable in left field, and if he can just lay off pitches out of the zone a little bit more, he's got uh, the chance to put up big numbers because the ball comes off his bat like a rocket. And I'm a big Cabin Biggio fan. Firstly, I'm a big Cabin Biggio, the person fan. And I'm a big Cabin Biggio, the player fan, too. I don't know that he's ever going to you know, hit 280, 300, anything like that. He might be a 240 or 250 hitter. But if he can hit 25 homers, and if he can steal 20 or 25 bases, and if he can walk over 100 times, which I think he can do, that's a pretty good player. That's a guy with a good on-base percentage, good slugging percentage, a good OPS. He's left-handed batter. Um, he's got defensive versatility. Looks like he'll spend a lot of time at second base, but his things evolve. Who knows? And he's an A-plus guy in the clubhouse, like A-plus. So I'm excited, you know, for, you know, if you want to call him the core four, whatever you want to call him. Uh, I'm excited for all of them, to, to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what all of them can do if they can ever, you know, stay healthy and we can get a full season of baseball at some point. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely something to uh, kind of have your hopes towards, especially with what's happening. Um, and for the lack of sports that's happening, just wanting to get back. But now that's going to add to the excitement of it all as well. Um, now, going back to you, you've worked, uh, obviously, with so many people in your career. You've worked with guys like Buck Martinez, Dick Vitale, Jay Belias, if I'm probably pronouncing that so, uh, poorly, so my apologies. Uh, but I'll <laughs> Morgan and Aaron Boone. Who has been your favorite person to work with uh, thus far in the booth? Yeah. I, I don't know that I could ever pick one. Uh, I've been lucky to work with so many people. I actually keep like a little word document of all the people I work with just for fun. Um, and between basketball and baseball, I think I've got over 50 people on there between Canadian TV and American TV um, as well. Um, for college basketball, Dick Vitale and Jay Billis are the, are the two that I've worked with the most. And they're both great. They're both absolutely fantastic, as good as it gets. Very different, but both as good as it gets. Um, and then for baseball, you know, to work, I, I worked with Buck when I started at TSN in 1995. And all these years later, I'm working with Buck again. And working with Tabby is great, too. I mean, you're not going to meet a nicer guy. Uh, and then uh, for baseball, to work with an Aaron Boone, with an Oral Hershiser, with a Terry Francona, uh, you mentioned Joe Morgan. Uh, I've been I've been so fortunate over the years, just uh, with Rick Sutcliffe. I mean, there are so many others. The more I name, the more I worry about who I'm leaving out. But uh, I've been so fortunate. I've learned from all of them. 
you know, way back when I was Tony Gwynn's partner for two years. I was David Justice's partner for a year on ESPN. And I know a lot of the folks in Canada would, would never have seen any of that stuff. But um, I, I've been blessed. I really have. You know, and I can call uh, a lot of them friends. Unfortunately, we lost Tony Gwynn too early, the late, great Tony Gwynn. But uh, I've learned from all of them. I've enjoyed all of them. And I, and I hope they've enjoyed working with me. Um, we had another question come in in the comments saying, what is one game you would make a non-baseball fan watch to make them fall in love with the sport? That's a good question. You know, the Bautista bat flip game is not a bad place to start. Although it was so crazy, that seventh inning. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a game that I did that doesn't get, it's not going to mean anything, I think, but there was a one-game playoff between, I want to say the Twins and the Tigers, I believe that. Every inning, somebody had a chance to win it. You know, somebody got thrown out of the plate or somebody turned a great double play or made a shoestring catch or it was one of those games. And it was a one-game playoff to decide who goes to the playoffs. So um, it, was a, it was a tremendously exciting game. I'd say that one, um, the bat flip game would be good. And you know what? You could do worse, too. I did the Cubs and Indians World Series in 2016. You could do worse than Game 7 of the Cubs and Indians with so much on the line, with the Cubs finally snapping their curse at over 100 years. So those would be three that I think I would pick. Okay. Good to know. Um, out of the um, players that you've kind of been able to watch, either talk to, things like that, um, is there one player that stands out in your mind that you look to more than the rest because either of gameplay, personality, off the field or off the court, et cetera? Um, well, when I broke in doing the Blue Jays back in 1995, I was really young and I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I needed to learn a lot. And there was a group of players uh, who were really good to me and, and took care of me. Guys like Paul Quantrill, Pat Hempkin, Dan Plesak, Carlos Delgado, Sean Green. It was a really good group. And, and I owe those guys a, a big thank you for, for the help they gave me. My favorite player growing up for uh, the older people on here was Willie Upshaw, who was a, a really good Blue Jay back in the 80s. I was a big fan of the way that he went about his business. He was quiet, never talked about himself, never brought attention to himself, but uh, just played the game the right way. I, I think I like game, guys who play the game hard, play the game the right way. Uh, you know, the game has changed. You see a lot more person in the game than you did 20, 30 years ago. Things have changed a fair bit, but it's, it's hard for me uh, to pick out just one. My all-time favorite player uh, is George Brett, who... Loved his swing, loved his hustle, loved his competitiveness. Uh, Hall of Famer, three batting titles, almost hit 400 one year. Uh, I'd say George Red and Don Mattingly are probably my two favorite players ever. And they were both players that I admired the way that they played. Uh, I've gotten a chance to interview Brett a couple of times, and I got a chance to know Mattingly reasonably well uh, when he was the manager of the, of the Dodgers and, of course, still is the manager of the Marlins. So, um, uh, I would say those would be two guys I, I would put above anybody else. Now, you, you just spoke about like who you would look up to, but has there been also someone that's inspired you um, either off the field, in the broadcasting world, in your personal life that you look up to the most outside of sport? Well, um, in my personal life, I, I, I would have to say my parents. I, I, I was blessed with great parents. Um, who thankfully are still healthy and safe during all this. And, and I got a chance to see them from a distance today. So 
Uh, oh, that's great. Nice. Um, as a broadcaster, I was a huge Tom Cheek fan. I'm a huge Tom Cheek fan, but, you know, uh, Tom did games from 77. Uh, I don't remember the last year, 2004 or five, somewhere in there. And getting a chance to meet Tom and eventually kind of work alongside Tom a little bit, be in the broadcast booth, do, do the pre and post game shows for a few years back in the 90s. Uh, meeting Tom was as big to me as meeting any athlete. It, it really was. So um, when I get asked about broadcasters, I bring up Tom a lot. If I'm talking to people in the U.S., they may not know who he is, but he's a Hall of Famer, and uh, I must have listened to thousands of games that, that Tom called. So he's somebody that, that stands out in my mind. Awesome. And talking about Hall of Fame, uh, I consider it a Hall of Fame award uh, or uh, so do so many others. Um, and in 2011, you were actually named the National Sportscaster of the Year by the National Sportscaster and Sports Writer Association. Not only is it an honor to win like that award just on any given year, but you were also the first Canadian-born announcer to be honored with the award. What was it like to when you got the call saying that you were uh, the recipient of the award or and just like that meaning behind it? It was overwhelming, to be honest with you. Um, and again, it's not something I think that a lot of people in, in Canada would be familiar with, but it's a U.S. award. And, and finalist and I never even considered that I might actually win the award and then they called me it was right around New Year's Day when they called me and said congratulations you won the award and I, I was totally overwhelmed and they had a wonderful ceremony that they have the national sports writer and national sports caster and then they put one writer and one sports caster in their hall of fame every year so there were four honorees and it was down in North Carolina and some family joined me down there and I actually flew down two bosses of mine from the old CJCL fan days, two guys who really gave me my start. One of them introduced me, Alan Davis. He was the program director. Scott Metcalf was the news director, and they both helped me a ton. So, you know, winning that award is still something that kind of seems uh, not real. So a little surreal sometimes, but it, it, was, a, it was a wonderful honor. That's incredible. So I just want to say congratulations. I know it's been obviously a number of years and it feels like it could be so long ago, but at the same time, everyone still talks about it and um, it's a huge accomplishment for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we had another question that came in and if you had to give advice to someone that wanted to start off in broadcasting, um, either in sports or in just a general broadcast field, what kind of tips and uh, advice would you give that person? Uh, first of all, don't do it the way that I Glamorous, it's fun, this, that. Yes, it can be, but there is a lot of, you know, I've been very fortunate to, to get where I've gotten and uh, a lot of hard work, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, a lot, of, a lot of good fortune and good luck went into that as well. Be prepared to really, really work hard. My son is in a broadcasting program at Syracuse University right now. And, you know, he's always wanted to do it. He and I had a long talks before he uh, decided to pursue it. And, and I said, like, 
you've got to understand how hard you're going to have to work and how many people will be in the program and everybody's going to be trying uh, trying to separate themselves from the herd. Uh, you got to work hard. And, and the other thing is you got to make sacrifices. You got to work nights. You got to work weekends. Maybe you have to move to a different town. Like I started in Barrie, as I mentioned. I was lucky. I know people who started in Capiscasing and, and or, you know, went all over the all over the country, started wherever they had to get, wherever the job was in an effort to get where they wanted to go. Um, if you're looking for uh, staying in your hometown and working nine to five, broadcasting is not for you. You, you got to be flexible. You got to make sacrifices. Um, and it, it can be really fun. It can be frustrating at times, too. I know a lot of people who were in it and kind of dropped out eventually and went into something else because they didn't get as far as they wanted to get or they couldn't make a, a decent enough living doing it. You, you've you've got you to work hard and you got to have a little luck on your side, too. Gotcha. Um, before we let you go, is there anything else that you want to share, uh, favorite memory or any kind of words before we let you go today? Um, I would just say, um, you know, how lucky I am to have, to have worked on the, to have done everything that I've done. The ESPN stuff has been wonderful, but since I'm speaking, uh, I presume to Canadians here that I would say how fortunate I feel to have been able to cover my hometown team. Like I said, sometimes you got to move and you never know what kind of job you're going to get. And to be able to, uh, to call Blue Jays games is really, you know, something uh, that I don't take for granted and something that I appreciate a great deal and hope I'll continue to do it um, for a number of years. And then outside of broadcasting, just everybody, you know, we're all going through a tough time right now and I hope everybody's doing okay and isolating and, and, one day this will all be over, and, and whether it's a new normal or the old normal, we'll get back to something more normal than we're doing now. So just hang in there, everybody, and hopefully it won't be too much longer. And before we let you go, we actually just had another question come through saying, asking that because you've been able to travel through Canada and through the States, um, and you've tried so many different foods, we are around dinner time right about now. Yeah. Which city has the best food that you've tasted? Well, I'm a notoriously picky eater. I do like an eight-year-old, uh, and I'm not exaggerating. So I'm not the best to ask a, a foodie question. Um, uh, I would say Chicago is my favorite city for two reasons. I love a good steak, and there are some great steakhouses in Chicago. And although I can't eat very much of it, I love deep dish pizza. I love all pizza, but I love deep dish pizza. And, um, you know, after two slices, you're ready to just keel over and go to sleep for about a week. But I, I love Chicago deep dish pizza. So... Um, I think Chicago would probably be my first choice. All right. Well, that sounds like a great plan. I still have to go to Chicago, so that is the first place I'm going to go when I get there. <laughs> All right. Great time. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate the time. Um, and, again, hope everyone on your end stays safe, stays healthy, and we hope to uh, see you again on TV soon. Thank you. I appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Right. Have a good day. You too.